You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk TypeScript and linters with Josh Goldberg. Josh is an open source maintainer on the core team of TypeScript ESLint, author of Learning TypeScript, international speaker, and so much more. Josh, how you doing? I'm great. I love that intro. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So yeah, we kind of had a little bit of this conversation recently at a conference that we were talking about, uh, talking at Ooh. KCDC, but we were talking about, uh, well, you were talking about TypeScript, right? Uh, and things of that mm -hmm. uh, that nature. And uh, And then it happened to be that you just released a new version of your library. So can you yes. tell us a little bit to start out what TypeScript ESLint is? And I think for some of the people, maybe what ESLint or just the lint, linting part is, sure. just so they can kind of know what library and what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, yeah. You know your ecosystem has a lot of tools when a majority of your conference talks are just explaining what each of those tools is and does as my life is now. But yeah, great question. There is the concept of a formatter, which is a tool that takes in your code and makes it look pretty or it lets you know where it needs to be made pretty. Separately from a formatter, there is the concept of a linter, a tool that runs a discrete set of rules, each of which points out some kind of flaw in your code. Then there is the concept of a type checker, something that builds a full understanding or at least partial understanding of all the types in your code, whether a variable can be a string, array, and so on. And those are three generally distinct tooling projects or forms of projects in the JavaScript TypeScript ecosystem. For formatters, most people use Prettier. Also, dprint is great. For linters, most people use ESLint. Back in the day, TSLint was a thing. It's dead, has been deprecated for years. Stop using it if you are now. And then for type checking, there's TypeScript. Back in the day, there was also Flow and there are a few other projects, but TypeScript's the main one. So that's just setting the stage for what the basic tools are, completely ignoring any of the stuff that I work on full time. Yeah, it's funny too, because like I, that was going to be one of my first questions is that I think some people might say, well, do I have a linter? Because sometimes when I try to pass a property to a certain function, it says that I can't do it because it's not of the right type. But like as you so eloquently said, those are distinct concepts. So we're going to be talking about the linting portion, not necessarily the type checking, although we'll talk about typed linting a little bit yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. Those three concepts in isolation, I think are pretty straightforward and make sense. That You're right. Sometimes it's confusing what's in the realm of a linter versus a type checker. But then the concept of a linter gets a little muddy because the traditional classic JavaScript linter, last quite a few years, ESLint, does not have an understanding of your type system. But with a set of tooling called TypeScript ESLint, you can inform ESLint about the type system provided by TypeScript. So it's melding the concept of ESLint with the information and functionality of TypeScript. So you have lint rules that can detect things like you're looping over an object in a weird way or an array, or you're creating a promise and not adequately handling its potential rejections. And that's what I work on. TypeScript ESLint is the tooling that A, lets you run ESLint on TypeScript code because TypeScript introduces new syntax that ESLint does not understand. And B, provides a whole bunch of really nice lint rules and tools for making your own lint rules that can be informed by the TypeScript type checking APIs. Okay, so that makes sense. So there's a certain portion of this library that 
is necessary, even if it didn't provide rules of its own, to make sure that any of the base rules of ESLint function at all in your code base as it sort of sits there and chokes on what are these colons doing yeah. here and you know what are all these interfaces and things. Exactly, yeah. Fun fact, there is a proposal to add a space for types comments in JavaScript. It's a very early stage proposal going through TC39, which is the committee that adds to JavaScript. If it ever gets accepted, which is not certain, it will be years until it is. So until and then even after that, yes, you're right. There are all sorts of wacky new things like interface and types and type annotations that TypeScript adds. But also, fun fact, TypeScript ESLint, confusingly, is the parser that Prettier uses to understand TypeScript code. So even if you're not linting your code with ESLint or an equivalent, if you're just formatting with Prettier, you're actually using TypeScript ESLint's parser on the inside, which then brings up the question of why call it TypeScript ESLint? And we have struggled for years to find a better name and so far have not succeeded. <laughs> That's interesting. So I think maybe now is a good time, because I do want to talk about what's in this release. And I, we're going to get there very shortly. But I, I think we've sort of brushed up against this topic that might be good to just dive into here, which is why can't ESLint read TypeScript? Like, what is it about what the linter has to do that makes it not work when you give it TypeScript instead of JavaScript? Because I, I guess I could see somebody saying like, well, I don't understand. I was told TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. So can't ESLint just work on the JavaScript part of it? Why isn't it capable of working on TypeScript code? And I think some of that just gets to the idea of how a linter actually knows what your code is. And maybe yeah. it would be useful for those for people to kind of just get a, a very brief 101 on kind of what's happening there. Sure. I will give the, the explanation that does not involve any technical terms that I previously have found intimidating and know others have as well. At the very core of it, you're right. TypeScript is a superset, which means it is all of JavaScript plus some extra syntax. So even if ESLint did not report a crash or error, if it found some kind of wacky new syntax it didn't understand, it would not understand that new TypeScript-specific stuff because ESLint just works on JavaScript. There are all sorts of different flavors of JavaScript, such as TypeScript and Flow and Hegel or Hegel, I don't know how to pronounce it, and other new language variants, each of which add new and different syntax to JavaScript. So ESLint can either support just JavaScript or pick a favorite, which is very rude and controversial, or support all of them, which is just an unmaintainable nightmare to conceptualize. So ESLint just supports TypeScript. Part of it, ESLint just supports JavaScript on its own. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I think some of the reason that it, yeah, it, the, the, the idea of supporting, I think, is the thing that people maybe don't understand. Because like, I, I think maybe people would intuit that a linter works like how we work, and that we would just read code top to, well, I guess in English speaking countries, I suppose, from top to bottom, left to right, processing tokens as we see them and just sort of understanding the code as it's written. But like the linters have to behave differently. I mean, I don't know, maybe in a chat GPT enabled word world, this changes, but the way that they've sort of had to work, right, is by breaking the code up into pieces and then understanding the structure of those pieces, right? Like, and and I yeah. guess just even having little bits of TypeScript mixed in there means that it doesn't fully understand how all those pieces fit together. There's like broken bits in the middle. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that level of abstraction helps or hurts clarity on understanding this idea, but that is that the idea for why I guess ESLint just doesn't work on a baseline with TypeScript and why it would need a library like 
uh, TypeScript ESLint to kind of enable that. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that explanation that there are broken bits in there it doesn't understand. Uh, because it's, ESLint could ignore syntax it doesn't know. But what happens if you have like an inline little colon in your function parameter? So it's function, name, parentheses, parameter name, colon, space, string. How is ESLint supposed to know how to parse that colon space string? Like it, it, it's not native to JavaScript. It wouldn't know how to do it. So in that sense, uh, ESLint would have to completely ignore this thing, but then it would have to decide where to start picking up the code again. It would. There's no way for ESLint to reliably know what is or isn't ignorable. Right, because it, it can't know the difference between valid TypeScript and an invalid mm -hmm the cat walked on your keyboard in the middle of your code file. Yeah. <laughs> and it just sort of goes with the idea that the cat must have walked on your keyboard because why would it assume, as you said, any of the other flavors of JavaScript that might exist out there without some assistance? Yeah. And that's kind of what your library does is come in and say, no, 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 no. This looks like the cat walked on the keyboard, but actually they're just saying this is a string. This is totally valid. <laughs> yes. Cool. ESLint supports the concept of a parser, which allows it to read in syntax from theoretically any language. Uh, TypeScript ESLint provides the parser for TypeScript. There are also parsers for JSON, YAML, and so on and so forth. Mm. And then for those who are very technical or want to be more technical in the audience, uh, we're talking about ASTs or abstract syntax trees. Uh, so ESLint understands one AST format. TypeScript ESLint allows taking in TypeScript code and turning it into the equivalent format in the ESLint land. Yeah. It ASTs is one of these things that, like you said, they're so intimidating when you just hear them being bandied about. But then uh, if, you're, if you find yourself with any level of interest in this area, they're so cool to play with, to understand yeah. how, the, how a machine or how you could sort of understand how the language is created. Uh, it's like this for transpilation, like Babel and things like linters. It's, um, it is a pretty cool power if you dig into them, but it is understandably intimidating at first glance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So we are releasing version six of, of uh, TypeScript ESLint. Congratulations. And what, how long has this been worked on? And kind of what are some of the big things that people will notice as they are installing this or looking to adopt this? Well, first of all, thank you. Second of all, the PR was opened, I believe, in October of 2022. We're recording mid-July 2023. So that's a lot of a year. <laughs> um, the concept of a breaking change is funny. We've had a large number of new features, everything from uh, new rules, new options on existing rules, to new parser options to make us work faster and with less configuration. But the reason why we released a new major version, v6, is because there were a few breaking changes we wanted to make that require user action. The first and I think the most exciting one is that we've reworked the preset configurations. So to back up for a brief moment, um, many listeners may recall ESLint config Airbnb as a thing that used to be very popular. Uh, ESLint allows you to pull in preset configs that enable or disable a whole bunch of rules for you which is really nice if you don't want to set up an entire ESLint configuration with all your explicit preferences for this and that on your own. And we in TypeScript ESLint provide our own recommended set of rules that enable generally really good TypeScript best practices, disable ESLint rules that are covered by ours or TypeScript itself. Um, but we realized that the rules that we previously were working with, the rule sets, didn't really capture the intent that a lot of users wanted to run them with. 
We previously had a recommended preset, a recommended requiring type checking preset, and a strict preset. So you could include up to all three of those if you wanted to have all of our strict rules, including rules that run slower because they require type checking. But that meant that we were including our recommended stylistic rules in the recommended sets. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to hoist your stylistic preferences on other developers alongside bug catching, it never goes well. So first off, we split out a recommended and a stylistic set of configs. So you can enable those individually. You don't need to enable our stylistic rules. Second, we also made each of those three types of rule sets, recommended, strict, and stylistic, alternately come with a version that enables additional rules that require type checking. So although it takes much longer for me to explain what the six rule sets are, we think that they're a little bit more granular and help people really use us the way they would want to, with or without, say, strict rules or stylistic rules. Does that make sense? That's so got to... Yeah, I mean, and it's got to be fascinating. I mean, I do want to dig into this topic at some point in this conversation a little bit more, but like you you, you get stuck between not wanting to create like analysis paralysis and giving people too many options mm -hmm. to choose from that they break down with that. But at the same time, you don't want to create this friction that they either get all these, what they might consider obnoxious rules or none of the rules. And like, so, yeah. you know, you want to get people, maximize that protection um, but still not lose as much clarity as possible. And it seems like you guys landed at a pretty elegant way. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be tough for the community as far as they're aware now to understand this sort of splintering of these two different sets of, uh, of configurations. But, um, but it seems like the right change long-term to kind of, as you said, avoid, uh, allow people to be as strict as they can be as far as the things that will, will be 100% bugs. <laughs> Uh, while allowing them to kind of take on as much of the stylistic stuff as they're, as they're into. Thanks. Yeah, part of the V6 release that we did for the first time was um, we set up a GitHub discussions thread about all the recommended, et cetera, preset changes we wanted to make. A giant table filled with lovely color-based emojis on where the rules were going or came from. Then we also tried out V6 on a whole bunch of community repos of large projects that used us, everything from... TRPC and TypeScript to Astro, which was a lot of fun. And if anyone has a project that they want us to try the next time we do a major, let me know. We've got an open issue or discussion or some such somewhere on our GitHub for that. And yeah, we got a lot of really good feedback from people. A lot of it was positive of, oh my God, don't you dare enable stylistic rules on us to, yeah, no, these are good stylistic rules. We'd like to enable them, please. It was fun. All right. Well, we all get right back to talking about what people need to do as they move from V5 to V6. But first, we're going to take a moment here to acknowledge our sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that is trusted by top industry companies, including Stripe, Xero, Wikimedia, DocuSign, and Twilio. This takes a hands-on approach by providing tailored development strategies to help you approach your most pressing challenges with clarity and confidence. Whether it's bridging the gap between business and technology or modernizing legacy systems, you'll find a breadth of experience and knowledge you need. Check out how this.labs can empower your tech journey at this.co. That's T-H-I-S D-O-T dot C-O. And now back to our conversation about TypeScript. Okay, Josh, so people are excited about these new rules, but they have existing configuration set, uh, whether they're recommended or strict. 
they may have their own custom rules or they may have gone in and changed the configurations of some of the existing rules that already exist. So how do people need to understand how that intersects with upgrading to this new order? Great question. I will eventually write a blog post, hopefully soon, that summarizes what I'm about to tell you. The summary of which is in our announcing TypeScript ESLint v6 blog post on TypeScript ESLint.io. But the gist is twofold. One, it's not that big of a change. We gave you a little more granularity in which recommended and or strict rules you want to enable. And also we split out the stylistic ones that we recommend. So if you were previously using recommended requiring type checking or strict or recommended, there is an equivalence new one, uh, recommended and or strict, stylistic or not. Uh, second of all, I generally have a somewhat algorithm for how I enable a new version of TypeScript ESLens presets on a code base. What I do is first, I will completely cut and paste away any rule customizations in the code base, leaving just the parser options to be able to run. Then I extend from the strictest possible rule set that I think the people there would like. Oftentimes on my code bases, that's strict type checked and stylistic type checked. On most people's code bases, that's probably just recommended type check. It's up to you. Then I will run lint or eslint on the code base and disable any rule that has a whole bunch of violations that would take way too long to fix up in the initial PR. And I'll by disable, I mean, I'll put a block section in the ESM config with a comment saying to do investigate whether we want to enable these sparkle emoji. I will then also disable any lint rule that I know is just not applicable to this code base, which by the way, is a pro tip that a lot of developers have not yet learned that you don't have to go with the linter. If a rule doesn't make sense for you, even if it's in a recommended config, just turn it off. It's fine. Disable that thing. And then from there, I'll typically send a pull request with all these lint rules marked as to do, do we want these? And any small, easy fix ups made in the code base with a little inline commenting PR explaining why I made them. So that's the strategy I recommend for most people, but you know, your mileage may vary. I, I, I can only speak for the teams that I've worked with, but it is interesting that the teams that I've worked with, people felt very comfortable adding the types of like directives that would cause linters to ignore lines or blocks of code or entire files of code. But there, it does feel harder for some reason for the team to agree to go in and just make the linter not check for that. <laughs> but instead, <Yeah. laughs> the, the team will sort of chafe against it and add comments every time they don't want to do it. Why do you think that is? Like, it, it, it doesn't, when you kind of see how these presets and these recommendations are kind of in the code, it's, it's like you said, surprisingly not that intimidating. But like, for some reason, it does feel like, um, you know, I think a lot of people use a pretty base, prettier config. I remember sitting down with a team. It's, you know, similar idea. I, I said, you know, you can change how it customizes your code because somebody was like, I don't like the prettier style. And I said, well, you can change it. <laughs> and they say, and then it was kind of this like light bulb moment. Like what, why, how are we not communicating well to ourselves that we can customize our tools? Like what is the, what is that fear or that friction that's existing? That's making us sort of intimidated to, to, to realize this is a path we can do. It's a great question. I think, I think my answer is twofold. First of all, a small thing, editors don't generally suggest make change to the config because that's a technically hard thing to do when you have multiple configs. So if you get the little light bulb in VS Code or equivalent for an ESLint complaint, there'll be a suggestion to fix if the rule provides one and then disable for this line or disable for this file or read the docs. There's no disable it in your ESLint config. 
that's both a hint and just a general pit of easy falling into. But more grandiosely, I agree. I think making a change to a specific line or file is something that people feel comfortable with when they feel ownership over that line or file. And if you're editing code, you almost certainly feel ownership over that line, unless you're very new and very scared, which I often am in a new code base. But making a change to the entire code base for the ESLIN config or even just an ESLIN config for a package at a modern repo, that's scary. You're making a change that all the other developers who touch all that stuff are going to have to experience. And because it's something as contentious and potentially new and unknown and scary to you as a linter, that feels intimidating. So I think a lot of folks shy away from making large scale changes like that, even though it's actually, in my experience, often very beneficial to you as a professional and as a developer to set up those dialogues with the team to discuss whether you want something enabled or disabled. And probably not an insignificant amount of that is that a lot of times these tools are being pulled in by the sort of meta frameworks and and sort of, um, uh, I don't know what I want to say here, scaffolding tools that exist out there, right? Create React app was a popular one before, and now it's Next and Remix yeah. and all the other ones that people are using. And a lot of times they add these tools because they are good for teams, uh, but people, I guess, didn't necessarily realize that they're choosing it. Um, so if you're joining a team, you're starting a team from scratch right now, would you advocate that teams should be spending time up front just going through each of these lists of rules and just deciding as a team? Or do you think that this should be more like a, no, use a reasonable default. And then if, if people, the first few times people chafe against something and they disagree, make note of it and then have a meeting to kind of go over the objections. Like how would you approach it on a, on a new team if you were starting one right now? Hmm. I think that's very team dependent, both on the desired velocity of team and the senior, mid-range, junior skew of the team. The advantage of going with a very strict preset at first, which is what I personally prefer, is that you get the maximum amount of strict good checking, and then you can discuss turning off anything. Those discussions end up ideally with a better config and can be very informative for people. But it can slow you down if you're all unfamiliar or many of you are unfamiliar with those rules. And especially if you have more junior developers who aren't familiar or aren't as quick to understand these more advanced concepts. So I'd say, depending on the skew of your team, maybe the slower and more senior weighted you feel comfortable acting as, the stricter you start with. But I think every team should at the very least enable the recommended ones. Uh, we and the other Linter config preset people out there generally just put the really good stuff that you really should enable and recommend. So do you think it's, hmm, do you think it's m true that what you were just saying, there's kind of the things that you really would recommend. I guess what I'm saying is um, when you've designed these things, have you designed it such that if you were doing this for your own projects, you would actually add a few more in than the recommended set has because you find value in them, but you maybe don't agree that other people would find value in it. Different than the stylistic ones, like even just in the functional ones. Um, or... Or, or is it the opposite, I guess? Do you think it's more likely that you would that you would take some things out of the recommended set or add things to it? I guess you're saying you would add. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good person to ask here because I'm so extremely nitpicky and in tune with TypeScript ES lens. <laughs> you know, I, I don't just know why the rule happens. I know why this bug happens because I added that bug three years ago. Um, <laughs> I think there's maybe not a bell curve, maybe just a linear decay or some kind of mm. growth chart where most developers are pretty much in the middle 
uh, or below the middle of how much they both know and care about the winter. A lot of people just haven't prioritized the time to dig deep, which is fine. There are a million tools out there. So hmm, I personally just go with the strict presets and then almost never customize from there. I'm, I'm personally very happy with the strict presets we have. Uh, but in the past, okay. yeah, I've added rules when I thought, oh, this would be really nice to have. What's interesting about breaking out the functional and the stylistic rules is now you have the strict functional, which as it as it's laid out in the documentation sort of talks about um, bugs, uh, rules that can catch bugs, but are more opinionated. But then now you have stylistic ones. So I guess it creates maybe this idea of what is the difference between an opinionated functional rule and a stylistic rule? Like mm -hmm. if, uh, what, how should people understand that difference when they're trying to figure out what to enable? Yeah, honestly, I would love to have a strict, pardon me, a stylistic and then a stylistic strict. So really we'd be splitting into logical, regular and strict and then stylistic, regular and strict. But that was too much, I thought, for this. <laughs> talk later about how the new ESL We need to be walked down this path. Yeah, this is maybe a V7 yeah. or a V8, okay. Definitely. Fingers crossed for V7. Yeah, so there, this is getting into nitpickiness, necessary, I would say, nitpickiness of terms. Strict versus opinionated versus stylistic. Um, I would lump in strict and opinionated there. So a strict rule is one that flags something that could be an issue, but isn't necessarily an issue you're certain you care about. Uh, for example, alphabetically, just looking at the list in our rules table, which on our website, you can fill two, two rules that are say in strict, not recommended. Uh, no confusing void expression. Fun fact, if you just have an arrow function or arrow lambda in JavaScript, x arrow x plus one, that returns whatever that expression is, which means it's very common for people to just say stuff like button on click equals arrow parentheses something dot increment or whatnot. So you're technically returning from that function, which in edge cases sometimes could cause a bug because the whatever on click handler is receiving the return value. That's confusing. So in our strict rule set, we say, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, <laughs> Who cares? Honestly, that is, that's probably the rule that I am most likely to disable from our strict rule set, because although it can cast bugs, it does require you to add like a void or a little arrow or squigglies around your function. That's kind of annoying. And, but that's, to be clear, that is a logical complaint, a logical issue with your code, which is not the same as a stylistic issue. Stylistic issues generally are just how you present the code, regardless of how it executes. In other words, a stylistic lint rule would flag on something that doesn't actually change the runtime of your code, just makes it look or feel prettier or uglier. That's really good, right? So one of the stylistic ones that I know a lot of people have used in the past, I think prettier maybe handles this as well, is like alphabetizing imports and things like of that nature. That would be yeah. an example of a stylistic rule. Yes. And I have a whole blog post on this, the blurry line between formatting and linting, because now we're getting into another blurry area. What is a formatter's <laughs> concern versus a linter's concern? And sorting object properties, imports, even elements in an array that doesn't care about the order, that's all something that people have argued for or against, including a linter or formatter. And I would posit that although the vast majority of time, the order of your imports doesn't matter, sometimes they do. Because the order of an import in a JavaScript file determines the order that those imported files or modules are executed. And if those files or modules have side effects, like mm -hmm. registering a mm -hmm. global style in the DOM or adding an event listener to your file system or something, then your imports do actually matter. 
So I, I do not recommend people format uh, sorted imports. I recommend that they use a lint rule for that type of thing. But maybe if that broke, there should have been a strict functional rule that warned them they shouldn't rely <laughs> on the execution order of their imports, but no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that would come up here is like, okay, obviously as one of the people involved in this library, you get to decide which rules get included, but as a community, they may wonder, what is this process? As a team, how do you all decide what is a recommended versus a strict versus stylistic versus not in the list at all. Um, for example, one of the ones that I know has been big in people in the community of TypeScript people talking about it is like whether enumerations are evil and they should be removed. I know Matt Pocock has done uh, you know some videos on this and you know uh, as const versus enums versus whatever else. Like if if somebody said I think that should be in a recommended set or a stylistic set um what would the process look like for deciding whether that happens like is this just winning over like just getting into josh's dms and, and convincing him that, that that's correct or is there like a a process that the community could propose something or like how what does that look like governance model for these kind of uh sets you know it's funny you bring that up we actually just closed out a governance model proposal on our discussions and by closed out i mean finished the deadline for submissions of feedback, but we got no feedback other than thumbs ups. So if anyone has input on this, please let me know. It's on the GitHub repos discussions, project governance V1. Uh, the history of TypeScript PS Lint is that for many years, it was an extremely important project that only had one to two, maybe three people working on it, no one full-time. Uh, very great people, uh, including two folks who are now maintainers, James Henry and Brad Zacker, shout out. But it's only been the last year or two that we've really had consistent you know, multiple people at a time, part to, to full-time working on it. So we're only really the last year or two starting to solidify our governance processes. All of which is to say, eh, it's kind of up in the air. Right now, the way we do it is you can file an issue on our GitHub and we have a specific template for config preset changes. And then um, as I alluded to earlier, for each major version, we're now setting up a large discussion with a giant table of all the changes that we'd like to make. We're a little hand-tied here because changes to the recommended presets are considered breaking changes. So anything that would introduce new errors or significantly reduce the number of errors we report in your code base must wait for a major change so as to not break existing consumers. But we're very open to feedback. I think our biggest fear is that we enable some rule that people hate, and then that teaches them to ignore us and ignore the linter, which is an unfortunate thing that's happened quite a lot in ESLint's past. So we're trying to avoid that. But the breaking change notwithstanding, like with something like this, I, and I haven't asked you for your opinion, and if you don't feel like jumping into the middle of a TypeScript flame war, that's totally acceptable. But oh, like <laughs> with this kind of conversation about things like whether you should or shouldn't use an entire subset of TypeScript for, for what are both potentially functional reasons or opinionated functional reasons to kind of keep us mapped to strict functional reasons for the, to keep us mapped to kind of the, the, these, this paradigm. Um, but could also be considered stylistic in, in some avenues. Like how, how would you see things like this, discussions like this that kind of ripple through the community? Like which, which, if you had to add this rule, I guess, which, which set does it sound more like to you? Got it. Well, we're not going to ban enums and we're not going to add any rule that tries to pressure you to use or to not use enums. 
Um, so I'm going to answer that first because I don't want to accidentally, as you said. That is totally fair. Yes, we should understand this first and foremost. <laughs> yes. We, our goal is not to prevent you from using major important features of the TypeScript language. Now, if okay. TC39 were to ratify the current enums proposal and add a type of enum that's different from the existing TypeScript enum, which would then force you to choose whether to use the TypeScript enum, blah, 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 then that's a whole other thing. But um, mm -hmm. enough people use TypeScript language features like enums that it, it would not be appropriate for us to explicitly say, no, this is bad. There's a legitimate use case for TypeScript enums as is, as evidenced by their frequent usage in both our code base and TypeScript code base. So our recommendation for anyone seeking to ban a common popular language feature, uh, just use the ESLint restricted syntax rule. That's a rule that allows you to specify a list of AST selectors along with optionally rule messages to say whatever, whatever you want when someone uses them. Don't use enums, I hate you and they're terrible. Or don't use unions, use enums instead, whatever you want. So that's, well, course, that's why we're not we're... gonna ban enums. Okay. Sorry. And and of course, the, this also open. I, I didn't realize that. See, this is what's so nice about this ecosystem is then you learn that like, wow, somebody had already given you an easy way to do that. But alternatively, yeah. people could also make their own rule. That's the, yeah. the nice part about the rule system is it's, it's, yes, these are recommended, but that does not preclude the addition of custom rules or, you know, whatever your team would want to implement or share with the community, whatever else. Um, yeah. So I, I suppose that's another strategy that people could go down if they wanted to give maybe a more clean description that says like, hey, you should be using as const here, whatever your opinion is on, on what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. A few notes on that. One, strong plus one. We have a whole docs page on our uh, website about how to build a custom rule using TypeScript ESLint. It's very similar to building any custom rule with ESLint. Uh, so yeah, the the problem with the ESLint native restricted syntax rule is that it can't provide auto fixers. But if you write your own custom rule, it's only a few dozen lines of code, you can do that. Second, although we wouldn't ban a major language feature like enums, we do have rules that help you use enums correctly, uh, some of which are unrecommended, some of which are in strict, if I remember right. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth with them. That being said, um, our general ideology is um, we only take in rules that are applicable to the vast majority of types of code bases. So if you have a proposal that we think is kind of niche, we might leave it open as an issue to let other people discuss it, but we will actively encourage you to, hey, build your own ESLint plugin, use the APIs that we provide if you want. And then if it gets popular and proved its benefit, we'd be happy to take it into court if you would like us to. How would you recommend the community handle sharing customized. So we talked about the Airbnb sort of set that was extremely popular. Now you all have created a bunch of, uh, of recommendations. You know, someone wanted to come in and make a strictest or, you know, share their Airbnb updated set. Like what is the pathway if it's, if it's not obvious to, that people should be thinking about extending or creating new sets of recommended rules? Like, would you prefer that people create them from whole cloth, like copy fork one of these and do it? Or is there a way to extend a set with some additional changes or, you know, what's the kind of way that people should be thinking about handling this stuff? It's a very topical and interesting question. I think this is an active growth point in the ESLint ecosystem that hasn't yet fully solidified. For reference, ESLint Core is working on a new config style called flat config, wherein mm -hmm. uh, a lot of oddities and confusing edge cases with the current config system are eliminated and improved upon. 
Um, so the flat config, everything is JavaScript. There's no more eslintrc.json. It's eslintconfigjs, which means that presets like ours can expose functions rather than objects that you must call to get your preset, which, and caveat, we have not actually discussed this, but I have been ideating of, ooh, what if we had people pass in, you know, flags like stylistic, true, or strict, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing, that the ESLint ecosystem is shaking up. Second, there is now an ESLint community uh, GitHub organization that started over the last year or two to really take stewardship over a lot of uh, presets and plugins. For example, ESM plugin node wasn't updated or maintained for a while. So now there's ESM plugin N, which is just fork. Uh, but to actually answer your question, I don't know that there's one golden path. Um, if there is an existing plugin that seems like a good fit, for example, if you're writing a rule for JSX accessibility, there is a plugin for that. You could propose it to that plugin. Otherwise, you could make your own standalone plugin rule. Um, and I do recommend folks check out, there's a great repo on GitHub, Dustin Specker slash awesome dash ESLint, which is just this huge list of awesome ESLint plugins. So if you think that you want something to be linted, oftentimes there's a good chance it'll be in there. And if not, make it and then send a PR to add it to that list because that list is great. We'll try to get that link in the show notes. So either in the description below on YouTube or, or you know in the comments. So if you need that link, uh, we'll see if we can get that for you. So to take this in a more, a little bit uh, of a user experience thing, because I, I find that like, um, I understand the need for immediate feedback, right? You won't, you don't want to build a whole page and then run a type checker on it and suddenly get all of the feedback at once and realize you've made a fundamental error somewhere along the way. But at the same time, like sometimes with linters, and I don't know if this is an ADHD thing or just a me thing. <laughs> But it's like I just made the I just made the function I just made the curly <laughs> braces and it's immediately mad at me I doesn't have a return type and I'm like come on guys give me can I have five <laughs> minutes before you start linting what I'm doing like but at the same time I don't want to lint on save um, for the same reason that I mentioned I don't want to go too far without doing this like how have you experienced this like do you have thoughts on ways on on what kind of the the user experience potential could be for linters and how to balance the immediacy of feedback without necessarily being just feeling like you're constantly there to yell at people <laughs> versus like helping them avoid mistakes. Does that make sense? Bob, I have so many thoughts here, but before I share them, <laughs> two notes, one shout out to ADHD medication. I just started Concerta, shout out to actually dealing with my mental shenanigans. Two, I don't like the lint rule you just described the not having a return type Thingy. Oh, okay. We, we were okay, so I need to go disable that one right away. <laughs> yes. Update to TypeScript BSLint v6. Use dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I mean, a first part of the answer is that we try to no longer suggest winter rules that are annoying to people immediately. There are legitimate reasons why one would, in some cases, enforce having a return type on functions. Mm -hmm. For example, in the TypeScript BSLint code base, we do it because it's a large code base. We've had performance issues from our wild and wacky TypeScript types. And one of the ways to resolve those issues, other than not using well and wacky types, is to have explicit return types. That being said, that's like a stylistic rule that does not apply to most code bases. Mm -hmm. But yeah, taking the more macro step back, I think my biggest gripe with dev tooling in editors or with editors in general today is the lack of advancement in how they surface complaints, as you've described. We've had a very kind of static situation for over a decade now where there are squigglies that are blue, yellow, or red, 
And each of those squigglies has a little box, maybe a little light bulb with some plain text description. If you're lucky, it has syntax highlighting, maybe a link to docs. And it's, I mean, over the last few years, we've gotten a lot better at ESNet rules, generally providing a fixer if they're a recommended rule. No one likes a non-actionable you suck in your code base. But I really want more. I want better. And I know that there have been explorations here. For example, Orta, who was on the TypeScript team and did a lot of docs work and other features for them with them, uh, was exploring how the TypeScript CLI can give much more informative pointing to the things that are actually issues complaints the way, say, Rust does. I would love to see editors take on that idea. So instead of just a squiggly with a giant pyramid of doom of text, you have little you know, syntax highlighting and squiggles and helpful hints. But I haven't seen it. And I don't have the personal time to go become a PM on VS Code and suggest these changes, push them through user ID8 and so on. So I really hope someone does. But in the meantime, we've just got to get better at you know the small things. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny too because like I come from a C sharp background at least for for a period of time, and what was funny is because that needs to compile, you would get into this kind of uh, cycle where you do get some immediate feedback, but you also kind of uh, once you've saved the file, you get kind of that feedback, and then maybe once you start typing, it's not constantly necessarily recompiling as you're typing, so the original set of warnings sort of disappear reasonably. And then you move forward a little bit and then maybe you try save it again and then, oh, okay, you do the next set. And I always thought that was kind of interesting, this idea of like like lenses, almost like taking layers away in, in, in Photoshop. Like, can I turn yeah. off my linting layer for a second? Like, I, I know I'm in a pretty dangerous place in the same way that if I'm taking layers away from my picture, I'm missing something, so I don't want it to be gone forever. But there might be times when I want to just go into a mode where I just want to remove a couple layers really quick so I can do something specific and then flip those back on pretty easily and do that without necessarily turning linting all the way off or all the way on or what have you. And if it can't be that it's everything or nothing, like it, it'd almost be fascinating. And again, if we only had the time to do this, to do it at like <laughs> levels of specificity. Like, like, can I take go from strict to recommended for a second or even to loose yeah. for a second so that you just tell me the most boneheaded errors and let the other stuff go for just a little bit, but then I, I add those layers back in and now I'm back at strict. Um, like that kind of stuff, I don't know if, it, if, if that would work. It, it feels exciting, interesting. I, you know, I don't know, but like just something to make linters feel like they're on your side. You know what I mean? Like, because they are, yeah, and they are. They do find great things, and like, you know, it saves us time we cannot even quantify. But, uh, but I feel like people just remember those times when it was there when you didn't want it to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember uh, before I intelligently respond. A funny to me anecdote of I was helping set up a project back in the day. This was on a team that, as you just said, large, large C sharp presence. And we were using, at the time, the latest and greatest in React technology. So create React app and TSLint, both of which I no longer recommend. And I mistakenly configured it so that TSLint, so the linter for TypeScript at the time, would block your local dev builds, your local hot module refreshes and reloads, uh, if it had any complaints, including warnings. And that was incredibly annoying. And I remember a very senior engineer very politely telling me, Josh, this is the most annoying linter I've ever seen. Uh, so we, we fixed that. But no, I agree. Um, I think the ESM flat config will help with that, hopefully. At the very least, it'll make it easier to understand linter presets. Um, I would love to see, honestly, you could try this today. Set an environment variable in your 
editor, extension, whatever, and then choose types could be a slant strict or recommended or stylistic, stylistic based on that environment variable, and then maybe reload your editor with a different end variable. Uh, one tip that I do have for people is I've noticed on this topic that when ESLint's extension and TypeScript's built-in language servers both give red squigglies, it can be very confusing and difficult to know which is an ESLint versus TypeScript complaint. So in all my repos now, I override in VS Code the ESLint extension's output to always be a warning, so the yellow squiggly, so that I can see what's, okay, actually an important TypeScript complaint versus an ESLint complaint. And I think that is kind of a step one in increasing the granularity and going for a layers-based approach. And I'd love to see steps two and three, but I can't quite envision what they look like yet. That's interesting. We're coming pretty much up on time here, but I know that like, I one of the things that you've said a few times that I do just want to highlight again is the, the focus of the team on um, user-centered and helpful um, error messages. Um, because I think in the tools that I've used that I've been most excited about, it's when it pushes people towards learning. Um, uh, you know, like not just this is wrong, but like this is not preferred link to whatever article that explains this type thing. And like that kind of stuff is super interesting. And I, I feel like that's really what we need for TypeScript as well, right? I know you, you've probably encountered this, especially when you use libraries, RxJS or any other type of library that does a lot of like interesting and complicated sort of uh, especially functional type stuff. And then all of a sudden the error message is like, this thing of whatever, whatever, you know, five lines of thing does not match type of six more lines of type. <laughs> and like, <laughs> what's actually wrong there is just like something was called in a way that it could be null and you didn't mean it to be null. And then all of a sudden, you know, but it's like user-centered help message, I think is so, is like that last thing that people stub their toe on with TypeScript with linters, with any type of tooling, because it's like, as soon as somebody sees that 12 line long error that is not legible, it's completely correct and it makes sense why it's there, but it's like not legible. Like that's, that, I don't know if you agree, but like, it feels to me like that's like that last bit for, for people just, whoever the holdouts are, fall in love with TypeScript and and, and other things, systems like it is, is situations like that. Yeah. I mean, what are the downsides of TypeScript? Every tech language framework, whatever, has downsides. No matter how strong its upsides are, TypeScript has very strong upsides. But the big downsides are increase in dev tooling complexity, which these days is not so bad in most projects because frameworks just do it for you. And then complexity of complaints. And what you just described is the single biggest complaints I see and hear from people that when they use types, sometimes not even that complex, just they happen to get into a situation that has you know 20 lines of increasing nesting for the complaints. So yeah, I would love to see more effort here. Um, I know the TypeScript team is, as with every language team, swapped with thousands upon thousands of issues and pull requests <laughs> yeah. combined. So yeah, yeah. I don't know that they'll get to it anytime soon. But there have been some really interesting explorations. Um, Orta, as I said, made a really cool set of explorations for the TypeScript CLI. Uh, Matt Pocock, who is an awesome content creator, trainer, lesson person in the TypeScript ecosystem, has this extension called TS Error Translator. It's a VS Code extension and a website. You put in your TypeScript error, and it gives you an actual description. OK, here's what's going wrong. Here's why. Here's how to fix it. Love it. But yeah, honestly. As intimidating, intimidating and obnoxious as those long error messages are, they are an opportunity to learn TypeScript. 
if you're not totally yeah. turned away and forced into just slapping an any or a TS expect error on there, it could be an opportunity to really dive in and learn how something about assignability or whatnot works. So, you know, silver linings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Just just because it's 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 fixable doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to make the tools better, but it is great that they do what they do at all. I mean, that is the key. Yeah. I mean, we truly so much of the ecosystem relies so heavily on the work that you and the team are doing and certainly we appreciate it. As we kind of close out here, is there anything else that you want to tell the community, any place you want to point them um uh, or you know, anything that they sh else should they should know about the new update? Yeah, um definitely if it's been more than a few months even since you've looked at your TypeScript ESLint setup, your ESLint setup on your TypeScript repos, please take a look. Even if it's been a few weeks, we just released V6 a week or two ago. So take a look, go through our blog post, which has suggestions for how to set up using our new recommended configs. Our goal is to make your linting as low configuration and high positive impact as possible. Um, I'd also say that if linting performance is a complaint to yours, right now that's our number one biggest user complaint, that it's just slow when you use type checking, hit us up directly. We're working on some really exciting experimental performance configuration shindigs with the TypeScript team that should ideally result in double-digit percentage improvements for performance. We're using what's called a project service, which is the same API that editors like VS Code use, rather than doing a lot of stuff ourselves. So I'm very excited about that. But yeah, just make noise, you know? If, if you do or don't like your linter, let us know. That's just generally useful for us to try to improve. Well, great. Well, thank you, uh, Josh. Thank you, everybody else. That's going to be it for us today. Thanks for listening to this Modern Web podcast on TypeScript and linting. Um, as always, we say the conversation does not stop here. You can find Josh on Twitter and a lot of places, honestly, at Joshua K. Goldberg. So that's J-O-S-H-U-A-K. G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G. -E you can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. And of course, one last thank you to our sponsor for today, This.Labs. This.Labs would like to know that you can approach your most pressing tech challenges with confidence, leveraging This.Labs tailored development strategies. Trusted by industry giants like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, they specialize in bridging business and technology gaps, modernizing legacy systems, and ensuring sustainable application architecture. Discover how this.labs can empower your organization at this.co. Again, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody else. See you next time. Thanks, Rob. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Show for you.